0: All right, wow, that was awesome. Thank you, Worship team. Last time I spoke, i uh inadvertently gave credit to Mike Hopper for fixing my microphone. It wasn't mike it was it was uh Bob, so I just want to make sure that I give credit to the right person so uh well hey we don't want to, we don't want to go there. we're just gonna leave it as fixing it so that's it, yeah. It's a team effort at Harmony Baptist Church. Good morning. I want to thank you guys for coming out to uh, hang out with us this morning, spend a little time together. Um, We do have communion this morning, and uh, Derek and I are kind of uh, tag-teaming, wrestling match this this morning. So I'm going to speak for a little bit, and I'm going to turn it over to Derek, and then we're going to have uh, uh, communion, and uh, hopefully uh, you'll be blessed this morning. And um, I greatly... Appreciate all of you for being here this morning. Uh, if you would turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 19. Is this too high up? Maybe. I shouldn't have done that. Alright, Luke chapter 19 this morning. In just the first ten verses, it simply says this. He entered Jericho, was passing through, and there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was, and was, was, was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for today, I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. When they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, He has gone to be a guest of a man who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek... And to save that which was lost. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for uh, who you are. And all of our songs that we sang this morning pointed at what you've so amazingly done for us as uh, you you gave your life so that we could live. Lord, that we could have a relationship with you. And Lord, we see through your word how you have reached out to mankind in, in just every possible way that we could imagine and think of. And Lord, this morning as as I speak, I just pray that you would uh, allow me to speak clearly. Lord, that you would open our ears and our hearts to the message this morning. And Lord, if someone who is in this audience that has never thought of what it means to have a relationship with you, never thought about putting their trust in you, or has questions about what that may be, Lord, that this would just take root. And Lord, that you would uh, give them the courage to to do something about that today. Lord, we ask uh, these things in your name. Amen. So I love this story, and I mean, it's a simple story. Most of us all know this story. If you have gone to a five-day club as a kid, and that's the only church that you've ever been to, you probably know this story. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. and. Yeah, and he said Zacchaeus, you come down for I'm going to your house today. Yeah. So we we all know this song and this song has you know, maybe you hear it and you think about it and it, like makes you think of like the backyard in the middle of summer with like the warm lemonade and the melted cookies that you just can't wait to get to eat. Well, I feel that way sometimes because I grew up doing the five day clubs and VBS and all this stuff. But there's some real cool stuff that takes place in this story that really, if we're not looking for it, we gloss right over. When Jesus, throughout his ministry, interacts with people, a lot of the times they have a need. They're, they're sick. They're, um, someone else is sick. They have questions. They're searching him out. So most of the time, when Jesus is addressing people, he's meeting a need or he's fighting with the Pharisees. But this time it's a little different because here's this man, Zacchaeus, who really doesn't seem to have a problem. He's got a great job. He's got a lot of money. He really doesn't seem to have a need. And sometimes that's where we find ourselves. is you know, I'm not sick. I'm not really in need. Life is good. Life is great. I'm good. I can wait. I don't have to worry about this. Everything's taken care of. But here's the example of this man. And here's his identity. If you have the note paper, I'm going to really try to stick to the notes. And I will point out when I move from one point to the other, or else it's a train wreck and you have a real hard time following. So we're going to look at his identity. We're going to look at who he is specifically. And I'm going to try to stick to this and go through it as, as, as quickly and as clearly as possible, because I don't want to keep it here all day. And uh, So here we have Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus hears that Jesus is coming to town. And the physical identity of Zacchaeus—he's a short dude. I can relate to that. I'm like five foot seven with my church shoes on. I have a little bit of a heel, if you didn't know. And when I don't, I'm like five six-ish. So I can relate to short people. Like Darren Sproles is one of my favorite NFL running backs. He does play for the Eagles. I'm very proud of that. Uh, He tweeted out a picture. If you don't know what Twitter is, it's just social media. And there's a picture of him standing behind the Garrett Blount, which is the new running back that the Eagles picked up. And I never realized either how small Darren Sproles is or how big this other guy is. Because it's like Goliath and this other little guy. I'll show you the picture after if you want to see it. But it just made me think, man, it's tough being a little guy. And this is what Zacchaeus feels like. And it tells him the story. He's trying to figure out how to see this guy. He hears he's coming to town. And he can't get through the crowd. He can't see. Maybe he's doing one of these numbers. But whatever it is, so he runs ahead of the crowd and he climbs up into this tree. Without Jesus, uh, let me rephrase that because Jesus knew what was going to happen that day. If it were me in that situation, I don't think I would have thought twice about this little kind of short guy trying to bebop in and out of the crowd. And when I say that, what I'm trying to get across is that Jesus has a desire and a need for everyone. He has a desire for you to have a relationship with him today. A personal desire. Jesus doesn't appear to know this guy at all. It's not like he's walking down the street and he's like, Zacchaeus, listen, run up on the head, climb up in the tree, and I'm going to put on this big show about who you are. Jesus comes through, he sees this guy in a tree, and he just stops and he looks up and he calls him out by name. Zacchaeus, hey, come on down here, man. We've got some business to discuss. And that's how it is with us. Jesus stops and he looks at us and he says, hey, I've got some business with you. Connie, I have business with you. Eric, i got business with you. Rachel, Larry, Lane, we'll go this side too. Mike, Don, Jay, Jason. See, Jesus is compassionate. He's concerned about us on an individual level. And what that means is, I know we might be thinking, we have friends, we have family, they're like, oh, they believe there's this God, they believe that there's this force. But the Bible tells me that this God, this force, wants to know you on a very personal, intimate level. And that's what we see here with Zacchaeus. And, and just this one little simple act, Jesus stops and he calls him out by name. And that's enough for Zacchaeus to say, all right, I don't really know what's going to go on, but I want to see what's, what's, what's happening here. So there's this compassion that Jesus has. It, I think about my response and how I act when it comes to my faith. And, and I think about my kids. And I love my kids and I talk a lot about them. When they were really little, I mean, they're still little, but they were in nursery, right? And I uh, would go to pick them up, and if you don't know me, I chit-chat a lot after service, and my wife is usually like, come on, it's time to go, and I'm like, oh yeah, I just got to talk to Mike for one quick second, or I got to talk to this guy, or I got to talk to that guy, and she's like, okay, that means I got about another half hour. So I go pick up my kids, and when they were really little, like, you walk in the door, and for some of you who are older, you're going to know this, you go pick up your kids at nursery, and what do they do? They're like, yay! And they got a little bit older, then they realized playing was more fun, so they'd be like, oh, man, do I really have to go? But at first, you go pick them up, and they're excited. Their face lights up, and they come running toward you. I don't know. Maybe some of you can help me out. I don't know when that stops. Because my daughter's seven and four, both of them, seven and four, and they still respond like that sometimes. I go down to junior church. Avery comes running out. She's all excited. I know at some point that's going to stop, and I don't know when. And I know for some of you, you have some grandkids whose face, like, Grandma! At some point, that might stop. Maybe it won't. But, you know, God's like that with us. When he sees us and and, and we come to him, he's like, Tim! Yes! This is so cool! I'm so glad that you took this, this relationship to a different level. And sometimes I treat God like that parent. I'm like, do I really have to do this again? Oh. Like, I didn't learn my lesson the first time. And I'm thankful. I told you last week, my wife reminds me, well, two, a couple weeks back, my wife reminds me sometimes when I'm grumpy and angry. And this morning, she, I, didn't, I didn't have to get reminded. I actually reminded myself. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm learning, maybe. I don't know. So we were driving to church, and there were some uh, cyclists driving down the road. And at the first, there were two of them, and they were next to each other, and I was a little toot-toot. And they, they politely, after a little bit, they moved over. But then I pulled up on another uh, pentalon or pack, whatever you call them. And there was like four or five of them. And they took up the whole lane. I'm like, oh. I'm, like I'm trying to be patient. I'm like, okay, now we're like 10 miles an hour. So I, I politely tooted and I passed them to let them know I was there. And as we got down around the corner, really it set me back 30 seconds, maybe a minute. But I even said to my wife, I was like, I don't want to be that grumpy guy because I don't want my kids doing that. Like, they, they pick up my traits. They, they do these things. And what I'm trying to say here is, for those of you who are sitting here that you've had this relationship now, you've had this face-to-face, Jesus has called you by name, you've responded, you need to take note of this next part. Because there is an immediate change that Zacchaeus has. And the text tells us that he comes down, he responds, but he changes. He goes from being this tax collector to this real compassionate individual. He's a chief tax collector. He's like a really important dude, but he's not important to the Jewish people. The Jewish people hate him. He's a traitor. Why? Because he works for the Roman government. Because he's a tax collector. He's a fraud. He's sold out. And he's rich. Sometimes we have to stop and look and say, "Are, are, are riches? Is our riches, is our stature, is our job, is something that we are, something that we've earned, something that we've gained, is that keeping us from responding to what Christ is calling us to do? For some, maybe it's stopping you from responding to this call of salvation. For others, maybe it's, he's, it's stopping you from answering the call to ministry. To serve, to be a part of something. Well I would, but I have to work. Well I would, but that costs money. I don't know, maybe maybe I'm just lucky that I don't have a lot of money. It's not a plug for like a higher salary. It just I, I don't know, like God's always met our needs. Always, always always met our needs. And I find that I can rely on him and I can trust him. So I know that when he calls me and he says, Tim, come down out of your comfortable tree at Harmony Baptist Church. I've got this for you. I can go, okay, let's do this. I'm not leaving anytime soon. I'm just saying as an example Jesus sees more in this small, short tax collector than anybody else did. Nobody made room in the crowd. Nobody stopped to see if they could help him out. Nobody said, hey, come stand by me. In fact, he got down out of the tree and everybody went, look at this guy. Jesus is going to go hang out with him? He's a sinner. He's just this repulsive person. He's a traitor. Nobody can trust him. He sold us all out. That kind of turns into us once in a while. Jesus sees more in him. Jesus sees more in us. Jesus sees more in your neighbors. Do you get where I'm going with this? So how can we be like Christ? How can we be compassionate? How, well, we can't be if we haven't responded to the initial call. And then after that, it's a continual process of responding and changing and responding. And it's more than just saying, I'm going to do that. I'm going I'm I'm to do that. How many of you have the honey-do list? I do. I don't get through it. I'm not even going to lie. There is, I I, I like Facebook. There's a thing that pops up on Facebook and it's like, it's clickbait, total clickbait. It's like 19 funny statements about marriage. And there's one that always pops up on there and I'm going to try to remember it as best as I can. But it's like, it's definitely a guy because no woman would ever do this. And he says, honey, I was just about to start that thing you've been asking me to do for six months that I see you just now doing. I I was just about to start that. That's me i like sit down and then, you know, be like, oh, were you going to do the deck today? Yeah, yeah, I was going to do that. And then I'm looking, she's getting the broom, and I'm like, I was just going to do that. I swear, and I jump up and I run out. Listen, if you're a guy in here, you can. It, we do that. It's who we are. Intention means nothing. The desire means nothing. Maybe, you know what? I'll be fair. Maybe some women are like that too. Yeah. I'm still waiting on my cheesecake. So... No, I'm just kidding. I don't even eat cheesecake a lot. A lot. I do like cheesecake, though. Anyway. So, to go back to Zacchaeus. Again, Zacchaeus is a different monster here. He's a different guy. He's a different case. We talked about the blind man. Jesus went to the blind man. We talked about the woman at the well. Jesus approached the woman at the well. She had a need. Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. Jesus called his disciples and they responded. They had needs. But here's, here's Zacchaeus. It's just this rich guy. It, it, this isn't an attempt to say, well, if you have money, you need, yes, everybody needs Jesus, whether you're rich or not. But what I'm saying is there's no visible need that Zacchaeus has. And here he is. He's just curious. He just wants to see what's going on. And maybe that's how we are, both if you're not saved this morning and if you are saved this morning. Sometimes we just go to church just to kind of say, we'll see what it's about. We'll see what's going on. I I like the movie The Incredibles, right? And then the little boy sees something, and then the guy comes home every day, and the kid's sitting on his tricycle, and he's watching. And he's like, why are you bothering me? What are you doing? the kid's just like, I just want to see something wicked. I want to see something awesome. And then at the end, like the house blows up and everything breaks loose, and the kid's like, That was totally awesome! But that's us. We just want to kind of wait and sit, and we just, I just want to see something awesome. Do something awesome, God, and then I'll serve you. Do something awesome, and then I'll know that you really want me to serve in the nursery. You know, do something awesome, and then, and we just sit on this tree branch of Christianity and do absolutely nothing with it. Or we're on the other side of the table where we're sitting there and we're going, come on, God, if God would really just do something awesome and show me that he's real. It's a cop-out, I get it. But did you look outside today? Look, I'm totally about the watchmaker argument when it comes to creation. Look at what it is. Something tells me somebody created this. Something designed this. Something keeps this running. Something keeps the earth exactly where it needs to be so it doesn't explode or it doesn't freeze. Something keeps the the, the stars in line so that we can know what's going on to to, to watch the seasons change. Something's got control of this. And I want to know who. That, to me, is tremendous in and of itself. It piques our curiosity. But it means nothing if we don't act on it. See, if we believe what the Bible says, we believe that this, this guy, Jesus, is the same Creator. It's the same God. It's the same person calling Zacchaeus out by name. as the same guy that said, Let there be light. And John 1.1 1, 1 tells us that He was there in the beginning, not a figment of His imagination, not a created being. He was there, face to face with God. He was God. They exist together. It's the same one, the same power, the same force that drives everything that we do. Stands and says, I want you. I want you. I, I, I want to have a relationship with you. Come down. Come down. It's curiosity. That's the second point, if you're keeping notes. It's curiosity. We're curious. But where does our curiosity turn into action? You know, when I was a kid, I lived down the hill from the school. We walked uphill both ways to school in the snow. Literally, my high school was on this big hill. My wife can vouch for that. I drove her by. It was the most miserable trip we've ever taken. Anytime I go home, it rains. Every time. It's just nasty, cold, rainy. I don't know why. It's because, like, don't come back here. I'm like, that's a sign. Maybe I just should stop. But one time it was the middle of winter. And we had a bunch of snow. And there was this big smoke cloud. And we're like, the high school's on fire. we got to go check this out. I was so happy. It was not the high school. But instead, there was this old house that was just down the road from it that had gone up in a... I mean, you could see it. Once you got up, it was amazing. You could feel the heat from it from up the street. The middle of winter, the snow's melting, it's rushing off. My curiosity was like, i got to see this thing. And then other people started coming out to see what was going on. And there were some animals that had lived inside. There was a homeless guy that was living there. He had a little stove, and that's what actually set the house on fire as he knocked it over and it went up in a blaze. So the curious people came to see what was going on, but they were a very small handful that were willing to actually take action and do something to get involved. I can't think of a better example than looking at a society that is just on fire. As Christians, what are we doing? And if you're not saved this morning, hey, there's more to this life than what the world promises, than what social media offers, than what our politicians promise us. I'm not a politics guy. I can tell you who the president is. I don't really know much outside of that. I don't follow elections. I probably should. Maybe it's ignorant on my part. I I can tell you who won the the baseball game last night, 10 to 5 Red Sox. But, yeah, it's all right. First place. First place. Anyway, <laughs> curiosity creates kind of this, this feeling thing. I went to the mall once. I, I saw Ahmad Bradshaw, and um, I got, I'm an Eagles fan, so I, of course I ridiculed really him. But I'm in the mall in, in Poughkeepsie, and, and there's just this huge crowd. And then I thought before, you know, one time um, the Twilight guy, I never saw the movies. I have no idea who he is. But the Twilight guy was at the Galleria here in Middletown. Maybe some of you who are like maybe in like your early 20s, maybe my age, were like big Twilight heads. I never was. I never got it. But I do remember going to the mall and walking in the upstairs, and they had this little table downstairs, and there was like lines of people waiting to see this guy. Realistically, the guy wasn't even like a, a famous actor or anything. It was just some guy in Twilight. Curiosity is going to draw a crowd. It's going to draw us into it. If you're here today, maybe you're here because of curiosity. Maybe, like I said, it's because I just want to see, like, it's church, curious, what's going on. Hey, come back. Sort it out. Seek it out. If you're not saved, and the curiosity factor is, you know, I just want to know, is this God thing for real? God makes some promises to us. Talks about test and see. Seek after him. To see if he's really, truly there. Find out if this is really a cool thing, because the Bible says that he reveals himself to us. But we've got to take that initial step and that action and seek after him and, and do a little searching ourselves. In This situation, Jesus calls him down, and Zacchaeus responds. Again, Zacchaeus doesn't have an observable need. He's rich. He's got a job. He's whatever. It's what I think about like the entire book of Ecclesiastes talks about. But Ecclesiastes 3.11 tells us that God sets eternity into the heart of man. Everything that God does will remain forever. That last part is a paraphrase of like the remainder of that little, little blurb. But God sets eternity onto the heart of man. No amount of success, no amount of anything that the world offers is going to satisfy our eternity. It's just not going to happen. As a Christian, definitely not going to happen, because what's the Bible tell us? treasure should be stored up in heaven, not here, because it's all going to fade. It's all going to go away. It's temporary. It's vanity. And sometimes what I need to do to remind myself of this stuff, Christian, if you're here this morning, read Ecclesiastes. Spend a little time there. And then you realize, like, oh, wow, I'm really missing the point here. But anyway, we'll move back into the third, third part of this. We're going to talk about his destiny real quick. Destiny, fly through it. I'm almost done. I'm going to turn it over to Derek. But a person's destiny is more than their goal in life. It's more than the average goal. It's more than just waking up, punching a clock, going to work, coming here, going home, watching the ball game, eating some popcorn, having a delicious meal. It's more than that. Life is more than that. Eternity is more than that. But our destiny, our things we strive for, that's what's going to shape our life. And if we're seeking for the things that the world is going to give us, and if that's where we're finding our success, and if that's where we're finding our pleasure, if that's where we're finding our enjoyment and our acceptance, I will tell you, just look through history. Look at fashion. Historical fashion. How many of you came into church today wearing bell bottoms? Close. Nobody. Why? Because that's like, that's gone, man. That's faded. That's over with. It's gone. It's not cool anymore. Why? Because trends change. Society changes. What's acceptable changes. What's permissible changes. But there's one thing that does not change ever, ever, ever. And that's God. That's His commandments. His, his, His love for us. His teaching. The Bible. Everything, the characteristics, the personality, that does not change. It doesn't change who He is. It doesn't change what He is. Regardless of what society changes, it doesn't change. But what that also means is, it also doesn't change the fact that salvation is a necessary requirement to have a relationship with Him. Jesus says it in His own words, I came to seek and save the lost. If you're lost this morning, Jesus is seeking after you. If you're not lost this morning, Jesus is trying to be the ruler and controller of your life. That's what it all boils down to. Zacchaeus changes. He, he decides, I, I'm going to give back money. I'm gonna, If I ripped anybody off... Could you imagine if the IRS called you and they were like, Jim, I totally ripped you off, and I'm going to pay you back four times full. and would be like... <laughs> Is this a joke? Like uh, really? I could you imagine? But with Jesus, this what this man becomes. He becomes a new creation. He becomes a new creature. So should we. See, so when I'm driving in the church this morning and I'm getting agitated because there's a guy out exercising, guess what? I got something to change. There's something inside me that's not clicking right. There's something that's off. Something's not firing the way it's supposed to be because I'm getting agitated. I'm not trying to like, like, present me as like, oh, it's just normal Tim. He sins a lot. I do sin a lot. But you know what? So do you guys. But what do we do with it? Are we stuck in this like just continual cycle of just we'll just go through the motions and whatever? We do what we do. Climb up in the tree, send the branch, do whatever. Jesus leaves, I get down from my branch and I go home. I go about my life. Or Jesus is calling to you by name. Hey, to respond to this. This will change your life. This will impact you. Not just now, but eternity. Solomon wrote about in Ecclesiastes, but I'm going to read. I don't see any small children here, so this should be okay. It's not bad. It's a C.S. Lewis quote, but they use the S word in there. Sex. Shh. This is what C.S. Lewis writes, and to me this is brilliant, and you probably all have heard this, but this makes me think about where I'm at and where you might be at today. He says, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger, well, there is such thing as food. A duckling wants to swim, well, there is such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire, well, there is such thing as sex. On the one hand, never to despise or to be unthankful for these earthly blessings. And on the other, never to mistake them for the something else of which they are only a kind of copy or echo or mirage. I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find till after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object object of life to press on to that country and to help others do the same. C.S. Lewis had a very similar experience, I can only guess, from reading Ecclesiastes that Solomon had. That he saw after everything in life, fame, fortune, hobbies, lavish lifestyles, everything left him feeling empty. And C.S. Lewis echoes the same thing. There must be something more if nothing here satisfies it. And you know this feeling because you've gone through your house and you've pulled every sweet out of the cupboard and you ate the cookies and you had the ice cream and you went back for crackers and you went, "Mm, it's just not hitting it. I don't know what it is. And you got in your car and you drove out and you went and got dessert somewhere else. We've all been there. We've done it. This is a small picture of what Jesus does for us. Regardless of what your desire is, what you're trying to fill, your satisfaction is, Jesus says, hey, Mike. It's me. Kishon, it's me. And today Jesus is calling you and saying, It's me. Solomon wrote the conclusion when all has been heard is fear God, keep his commandments, because this applies to every person. If every person has eternity written on their heart, every person is accountable to this. Just, fear God, love God, keep his commandments. How can we do that if we don't have a relationship with him? See, that's where it starts. So this morning, I'm closing. We're going to have a time of communion in a couple seconds. We're going to get all squared up for that. But I'm asking you, what's that desire that is just burning in you that you cannot satisfy? For the believer, maybe that means that's something you've got to give over. Something you've got to give up. Something that you've got to put in the trust of Christ, that He'll satisfy that. For If you're sitting here this morning and you're not saved, and you have no idea what I'm talking to- about, a believer, I don't know. There are a lot of people in this small congregation that can help you with that. Myself, Derek, Don... Randy, Christine, I mean, all across, the, Just those are the first closest pews. I don't, don't, don't think you didn't say me. I guess I can't witness to anybody. No, that is not, you are not off the hook. I'm just saying, listen, don't leave here this morning without saying, hey, what's this mean? How can I respond like Zacchaeus? Will you come down off the tree? Will you, will you take the time to, to, to get things right? I'm just asking you this morning, Jesus is there. There's, there's no accident. It's not a happy accident that you're here this morning. There's no matter what. You could walk out this door and everybody says, You could walk out the door and hit by a bus. Nobody wants you to walk out the door and get hit by the bus. The point of that question is to make you intellectually and honestly ask yourself, What comes next? Is this Jesus thing real? Is this God thing real? What comes next? I, last week, listen, you, you, your plans are not your plans. I know that, because last week, my mom came to visit, and her truck broke down. And Sunday after church, I drove to Ohio, and then Monday morning, I drove back. was not intending on doing that, trust me. 20 hours and not ending up at the beach, not what I want to do. But, it happened. And can I tell you something? I'm driving through Ohio, and there's these billboards that kept flashing. And it would say, slow down, drive safe. Year-to-date death, 604 highway deaths. And then the next thing would flash and it would say, every death has a face. Every death has a face. 604 people passed away in highway accidents in Ohio year to date. You know, I'm not asking you to wrestle with mortality, but it made me stop and think, I could be 605, I could be 606, I got another six hours to drive in this state. And hey, it made me slow down. I'm not going to lie. I didn't have my regulator with me. She was home. So <laughs> I had to be really cautious of the speed limit. But can I tell you something? All jokes aside, tomorrow's not promised. Have you, have you ever been intellectually honest with yourself? No, it's, it's a wives' tale. It's a fable. Okay, so tell me, what comes next? What comes next? I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask you... While we're getting set up for communion, I'll be over here. If a couple people want to hang out over here, if you want to go out there and talk, come find us. Don't leave today going, well, maybe next time. It might not be a next time. You may never come back here. That doesn't mean you're going to die. Maybe you get moved to Europe. I don't know. God bless. That'd be awesome. But don't leave today thinking, I'll do it next time. I'll I'll ask these questions next time. I'll figure it out. It's all next time. Next time, next time, next time. If there's always a next time, there's never a now time. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you again for who you are, that you've called us personally, that you have looked at us in the face and have said, come down. I want to have a relationship with you. Lord, I pray for those who are here today that maybe this is the first time they're hearing that, but Lord, I I pray that you would open their heart to understand that you are calling them, that you want to have that relationship with them. And for us who are here that have put our trust in you, Lord, that we would do what it is that you've called us to do, or that we would take action as well when you call us to do things. Lord, I I pray that if there's anyone here, anyone, whether they've been here for two hours, 15 minutes, 26 years, Lord, if they have not responded to that call and put their trust in you, that today would be that day. We love you. Thank you for who you are we close this service in this time of our service in your name. Amen.
1: Thanks, Tim. Excuse me a moment. Right, I'll just get the lectern. Wow, that was great, challenging. What's the next step? What's the next step? I'm quite a little fellow as well, so I got to get this down, that's, <laughs> that's great. I think there's an Irish story probably Irish, about the guy, I don't know where he wanted to go, I think he wanted to get to Dublin, which was the capital of Ireland, Southern Ireland, and I've forgotten where he was, but he was in the middle of nowhere, and he said to somebody on the road, oh, I can't do an Irish accent, so I won't try. How do I get from here to Dublin? And the guy said, oh, if you want to get to Dublin, I wouldn't start from here. You've probably heard that before. But we are all somewhere, and what's the next step? There's no point in saying, well, the starting point is wrong. The starting point is here. The fact is, we're here. God is here. There's no point in the, well, I've got to go somewhere else to get on this road. No. You can start for here. You can start here. You can continue here. God is here. Today is the starting point. I wonder if you've ever been, um, and you don't have to say anything, ever been charged with an offense because you've transgressed the law. The law of the land is supposed to be good. It regulates life. It gives healthy boundaries, mainly healthy. It supports and enhances society. It supports order, peace, respect. Freedom, it's a good thing. Compare that with God's law, which is even better. If you transgress the law, you might end up in court. If you go to court, you'll be declared guilty or not guilty. If you're guilty, well, you've done it. Or there's a miscarriage of justice, and you are innocent, but in fact, you're caught. You're pronounced guilty, and it's a miscarriage of justice. If you're declared not guilty... Either you're innocent, or you got away with it. We won't get away with it in God's court. There is another court, the court of heaven. In these, on earth, uh, if you go to the courts, the local court, you can then appeal, and you can go on appealing, and you can go on appealing until you get to the supreme court. It's the same in the UK. I think I've got that right for over here. And when the Supreme Court issues its verdict, that is it. Is that right? That's what it's like in the UK. A group of people who have been appointed to do a final review. When you get their verdict, that's the end of the road. That is your response. There is no other appeal or anybody else who is going to countermand that judgment. When we come to the court of God, there is no court of appeal. He is the final judge. But the good thing is that God is more than a judge. God's law of life is for each of us. As Tim has just uh, asked us, what is our next step in lining our lives up with God? I want to read some verses from Romans chapter 3 as we come towards communion. And it starts with law. We know this is Romans chapter 3, verse 19. We know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. Ah, It's that starting point, sin. We're getting heavy, are we? Sin, guilt, guilt judgment well this is the starting point but there is a route out but now apart from the law the righteousness of god has been made known to which the law and prophets testify this righteousness is given through faith in jesus christ to all who believe there's no difference between jew and gentile for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of god And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just. And... The one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Well, there's a lot of theological stuff in that. What on earth has that got to do with communion? Well, it's telling us something of the theological background of what this bread and this wine represent and why we're going to eat this bread and drink this wine in a moment. We have to start from where we are. And the the starting point is sin. I've transgressed the law. I am guilty. I've fallen short. I've missed the mark. In other words, the starting point of coming to God is human failure. If we cannot acknowledge human failure and think, oh, well, I don't want to start from here. I want to start from religion or good works or impressing God. No, it won't work. The starting point has got to be your brokenness, your fallibility, your, your sinfulness, my sinfulness. But the good thing is God does not leave us there. But that's got to be where we start from. Justice, because God is just, says the penalty for sin must be paid. See, God doesn't just shuffle it under the carpet and say, oh, well, we won't worry about that anymore. We'll pretend it didn't happen. Or it wasn't that bad, so we'll just we'll forget about that. No, that would not be just. In any court of law, if you're accused of something and found guilty, it will be a total travesty if they said, oh, well, we won't worry about it. Just ignore it. Off you go. For justice, there must be a punishment. There must be a penalty. And God's justice says the penalty for sin has got to be paid. The penalty is death. But grace comes along and says, Jesus has paid that penalty in your place. God is a God of grace. And then we had this rather heavy theological word of atonement. Jesus was provided atonement for our sins. Jesus suffered the wrath of God so that I don't. He made reparation for my sins because I couldn't. The judge handed out such an enormous fine, I couldn't pay it myself. I'm bankrupt. I have nothing to give. Okay, you're in jail. Our debt is something we cannot pay. But Jesus has said, I have paid that debt. I have paid it. It is paid. I have made reparation for our offences And then redemption says, I am restored to fellowship with God through faith. Wow, now we're getting the good news applied to us personally. Zacchaeus, this is what you need to know. This is the next step for you. When you get out of that tree, when you accept your starting point and you come to Jesus and you look at that cross as it is there and think, what does that symbolize? I am restored to fellowship with God through faith in Jesus. And then it says that we are justified. What on earth does that mean? Well, it means we are declared. The judge says, you are not guilty. I find you not guilty. But I've committed, I'm not guilty. How can that be? Well, because Jesus was declared guilty. And he became sin for us. The verdict of Father upon Jesus was guilty, death, hell. The verdict for us then is not guilty. I have become in him the righteousness of God. Wow, how on earth can that be? That's That sounds like good news to me. It is. I am not guilty. And righteousness, because this is what it's all about, says, well, I'm not just only not guilty. Guilty. It's not just that I haven't done something bad. I'm given the righteousness of Jesus. I am righteous in him. Wow. And so as we eat the bread and as we drink the wine, we're celebrating that we go from this starting point of failure to our destiny of resurrection and life. And already we have become in him the righteousness of Jesus. If we have received Jesus... By faith. If we have climbed out of our tree and say, Okay, Jesus, what's this business we need to do? I need to walk away from that life of sin and I need to walk into the arms of Jesus. I need to acknowledge what this cross is all about that somebody paid the price for my sin. So the bread and the wine proclaim and celebrate Jesus' atoning sacrifice. Grace is not cheap. Grace is not cheap. The atonement was not a walk in the park. Jesus was not particularly looking forward to it. And he said, as he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. In other words, let this, I know what's coming. Is it at all possible that it doesn't have to happen? This is Jesus. But what does he say then? Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. It cost him. It cost him the physical abuse, the verbal abuse, but a whole lot more spiritually. What on earth did it mean that the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, was somehow torn asunder as Father had to turn away because of you and me and because of our sin that Jesus was taking upon himself? Grace is not cheap. And the life of Jesus was the only life that could possibly achieve our justification and redemption. So we're going to take the bread and then we're going to drink the wine as a celebration, as a declaration that, yes, I receive Jesus afresh. Yes, I have a starting point of sin and failure, but I'm trusting Jesus. I'm proclaiming That what I see in that screen there, the symbol of that cross, I'm proclaiming that Yes, that is the place where I find my salvation, in the cross of Jesus Christ. For what he has done, not what I try to do, but what he has done. And I reaffirm my faith and my trust in him. So if those who are serving would like to come forward, please. We have five servers nowadays, so we have one person who is specifically able to serve the nursery people and the musicians. Oh, the musicians, they're there. There you are, good. Um, so let's pray together. Lord, when you met Zacchaeus, you transformed his life. Came down out of that tree with all his background and baggage of being a traitor, of being a fraud, of being greedy, of being a liar, a thief. And somehow, Lord, his encounter turned him round totally. You set him on a new path. Thank you that in you we are set on a new path. Thank you that our destiny is the kingdom of God. We're already in that kingdom, but the fullness of that that one day we will see. This morning, we want to give you praise and thanks that, Lord Jesus, your body was broken for us, that you paid our debt, that when the judge made that pronouncement of guilty over our sin, you were there who said, yes, and I've taken that guilt. I have paid that price. It cannot be paid again. You took our death. You died our death. You paid our debt. And it cost you your life. We want to thank you. And Lord, as we take this bread in the moment, we, 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 we know that it represents your body broken for us. And as we eat it, we say again, yes, Lord Jesus, we reaffirm our faith and confidence in you. Thank you for dying for us. Amen. The bread or wafers will come to us. They will. The servers will bring them to you, and you eat the bread as you receive it to make your own individual response to Jesus. So if the servers can come forward, we'll... The wine speaks to us of the blood of Jesus. Shed blood means a death. A death has occurred. Jesus' death. And also we have that symbolism of a covenant which is sealed in blood. And as Jesus, as we drink this wine, we are declaring and we are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. We are proclaiming there is a new covenant. A covenant of grace that no, I cannot be declared not guilty through my own efforts, but through the blood of Jesus Christ, through the sacrifice of his life, I am declared not guilty in the highest court of heaven. There is no appeal. Not guilty. I am made righteous. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you that you shed your blood. Thank you that you gave your life, you shed your blood. And we just want to say, where would we be without you? Lord, as we meditate, as the wine is brought to us now, help each of us to think, what's the next step? Is there a tree to climb out of? Is there interest and curiosity just to be followed up? We're looking at our destiny. Help us, Lord, to meditate and to give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. The wine will be brought to us again, and this time, keep the cup. Keep hold of the cup and then we will all drink together after we have all been served. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that we don't just look back, and we don't just look around now, but we look forward to when we will be with you in the fullness of your kingdom. We proclaim your death until you come again, because, Lord, we are counting on that, and we will see you, and we will be with you forever. So thank you for what this wine speaks to us of. Thank you for your life. Lord, in drinking this, we again say we proclaim your death till you come again. We proclaim that we trust in you, that you are our Savior, that you are our God who has borne our sin. When we couldn't, we're eternally grateful. We praise you. Let's drink together in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, Father, we thank you for this time this morning as we go now. Lord, may each of us just ponder over in our hearts what the next step is, that we might not just come and listen and go and forget, but just know that you go with us each day. Be with each one of us, Lord. Uh, May we know your joy and your peace in our hearts. May we know your grace touching our lives afresh. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If anybody wants to talk with Tim or or myself or anybody else over what they've heard this morning, feel free to do that. Thank you.
0: All right. Wow. That was awesome. Thank you worship team. Last time I spoke, I uh inadvertently gave credit to Mike Hopper for fixing my microphone. It wasn't Mike. It was it was uh Bob. So, I just want to make sure that I give credit to the right person. So, uh Well, hey, we don't want to, we don't want to go there. We're just going to leave it as fixing it. So. That's it. Yeah. It's a team effort at Harmony Baptist Church. Good morning. I want to thank you guys for coming out to uh, hang out with us this morning, spend a little time together. Um, We do have communion this morning, and uh, Derek and I are kind of uh, tag-teaming, wrestling match this this morning. So I'm going to speak for a little bit, and I'm going to turn it over to Derek, and then we're going to have uh, uh, communion, and uh, hopefully uh, you'll be blessed this morning. And um, I greatly... Appreciate all of you for being here this morning. Uh, if you would turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 19. Is this too high up? Maybe. I shouldn't have done that. All right, Luke chapter 19 this morning, and just the first 10 verses, it simply says this He entered Jericho, was passing through, and there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector. And he was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was, and was, was, was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house." And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. When they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, He has gone to be a guest of a man who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is the son of Abraham, for the son of man... Has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for uh, who you are and all of our songs that we sang this morning pointed at what you've so amazingly done for us as uh, you you gave your life so that we could live. Lord, that we could have a relationship with you. And Lord, we see through your word how you have reached out to mankind in, in just every possible way that we could imagine and think of. And Lord, this morning as, as I speak, I just pray that you would uh, allow me to speak clearly. Lord, that you would open our ears and our hearts to the message this morning. And Lord, if someone who is in this audience that has never thought of what it means to have a relationship with you, never thought about putting their trust in you, or has questions about what that may be, Lord, that this would just take root. And Lord, that you would uh, give them the courage to, uh, to do something about that today. Oh, Lord, we ask uh, these things in your name. Amen. So I love this story, and I mean, it's a simple story. Most of us all know this story. If you have gone to a five-day club as a kid, and that's the only church that you've ever been to, you probably know this story. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. and. Yeah, and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down, for I'm going to your house today. Yeah, so we, we all know this song, and this song has, you know, maybe you hear it and you think about it, and it like makes you think of like the backyard in the middle of summer with like the warm lemonade and the melted cookies that you just can't wait to get to eat. Well... I feel that way sometimes because I grew up doing the five-day clubs and VBS and all this stuff. But there's some real cool stuff that takes place in this story that really, if we're not looking for it, we gloss right over. When Jesus, throughout his ministry, interacts with people, a lot of the times they have a need. They're, they're sick. They're, um, someone else is sick. They have questions. They're searching him out. So most of the time, when Jesus is addressing people, he's meeting a need or he's fighting with the Pharisees. But this time it's a little different because here's this man, Zacchaeus, who really doesn't seem to have a problem. He's got a great job. He's got a lot of money. He really doesn't seem to have a need. And sometimes that's where we find ourselves. Is you know, I'm not sick. I'm not really in need. Life is good. Life is great. I'm good. I can wait. I don't have to worry about this. Everything's taken care of. But here's the example of this man. And here's his identity. If you have the note paper, I'm going to really try to stick to the notes. And I will point out when I move from one point to the other, or else it's a train wreck and you have a real hard time following. So we're going to look at his identity. We're going to look at who he is specifically. And I'm going to try to stick to this and go through it as, as, as quickly and as clearly as possible because I don't want to keep it here all day. And uh, So here we have Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus hears that Jesus is coming to town. And the physical identity of Zacchaeus—he's a short dude. I can relate to that. I'm like five foot seven with my church shoes on. I have a little bit of a heel, if you didn't know. And when I don't, I'm like five six-ish. So I can relate to short people. Like Darren Sproles is one of my favorite NFL running backs. He does play for the Eagles. I'm very proud of that. Uh, He tweeted out a picture. If you don't know what Twitter is, it's just social media. And there's a picture of him standing behind the Garrett Blount, which is the new running back that the Eagles picked up. And I never realized either how small Darren Sproles is or how big this other guy is, because it's like Goliath and this other little guy. I'll show you the picture after if you want to see it. But it just made me think, man, it's tough being a little guy. And this is what Zacchaeus feels like. And it tells him the story. He's trying to figure out how to see this guy. He hears he's coming to town. And he can't get through the crowd. He can't see. Maybe he's doing one of these numbers. But whatever it is, so he runs ahead of the crowd. And he climbs up into this tree. Without Jesus, uh, let me rephrase that because Jesus knew what was going to happen that day. If it were me in that situation, I don't think I would have thought twice about this little kind of short guy trying to bebop in and out of the crowd. And when I say that, what I'm trying to get across is that Jesus has a desire and a need for everyone. He has a desire for you to have a relationship with him today. A personal desire. Jesus doesn't appear to know this guy at all. It's not like he's walking down the street and he's like, Zacchaeus, listen, run up on the head, climb up in the tree, and I'm going to put on this big show about who you are. Jesus comes through, he sees this guy in a tree, and he just stops and he looks up and he calls him out by name. Zacchaeus, hey, come on down here, man. We've got some business to discuss. And that's how it is with us. Jesus stops and he looks at us and he says, hey, I've got some business with you. Connie, I have business with you. Eric, I got business with you. Rachel, Larry, Lane. We'll go this side too. Mike, Don, Jay, Jason. See, Jesus is compassionate. He's concerned about us on an individual level. And what that means is, I know we might be thinking, we have friends, we have family, they're like, oh, they believe there's this God, they believe that there's this force, but the Bible tells me that this God, this force wants to know you on a very personal, intimate level. And that's what we see here with Zacchaeus. And, and just this one little simple act, Jesus stops and he calls him out by name. And that's enough for Zacchaeus to say, alright, I don't really know what's going to go on, but I want to see what's, what's, what's happening here. So there's this compassion that Jesus has. If I think about my response and how I act when it comes to my faith. And, and I think about my kids. And I love my kids and I talk a lot about them. When they were really little, I mean, they're still little, but they were in nursery, right? And I uh, would go to pick them up, and if you don't know me, I chit-chat a lot after service, and my wife is usually like, come on, it's time to go. And I'm like, oh yeah, I just got to talk to Mike for one quick second. Or I got to talk to this guy, or I got to talk to that guy. And she's like, okay, that means I got another half hour. So I go pick up my kids, and when they were really little, like, you walk in the door, and for some of you who are older, you're going to know this. You go pick up your kids at nursery, and what do they do? They're like, yay! And they got a little bit older, then they realized playing was more fun, so they'd be like, oh, man, do I really have to go? But at first, you go pick them up, and they're excited. Their face lights up, and they come running toward you. I don't know. Maybe some of you can help me out. I don't know when that stops. Because my daughter's seven and four, both of them, seven and four, and they still respond like that sometimes. I go down to junior church. Avery comes running out. She's all excited. I know at some point that's going to stop, and I don't know when. And I know for some of you, you have some grandkids whose face like, Grandma! At some point that might stop. Maybe it won't. But, you know, God's like that with us. When he sees us and and, and we come to him, he's like, Tim! Yes! This is so cool! I'm so glad that you took this, this relationship to a different level. And sometimes I treat God like that, parent. I'm like, do I really have to do this again? Oh. Like I didn't learn my lesson the first time, and I'm thankful. I told you last week. My wife reminds me. Well, two, a couple weeks back, my wife reminds me sometimes when I'm grumpy and angry. And this morning, she, I didn't, I didn't have to get reminded. I actually reminded myself. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm learning. Maybe I don't know. So we were driving to church, and there were some uh, cyclists driving down the road. And at the first, there were two of them, and they were next to each other, and. I was a little toot-toot. And they, they politely, little after a little bit, they moved over. But then I pulled up on another uh, was a pentalon or pack, whatever you call them. And there was like four or five of them. And they took up the whole lane. I'm like, oh. I'm like, I'm trying to be patient. I'm like, okay, now we're like $10 an hour. So I, I politely tooted and I passed them to let them know I was there. And as it got down around the corner, really it set me back 30 seconds, maybe a minute. But I even said to my wife, I was like, I don't want to be that grumpy guy because I don't want my kids doing that. Like, they, they pick up my trades. They, they do these things. And what I'm trying to say here is, for those of you who are sitting here that you've had this relationship now, you've had this face-to-face, Jesus has called you by name, you've responded, you need to take note of this next part. Because there is an immediate change that Zacchaeus has. And the text tells us that he comes down, he responds, but he changes. He goes from being this tax collector to this real compassionate individual. He's a chief tax collector. He's like a really important dude, but he's not important to the Jewish people. The Jewish people hate him. He's a traitor. Why? Because he works for the Roman government. Because he's a tax collector. He's a fraud. He's sold out. And he's rich. Sometimes we have to stop and look and say, "Are our, our, our riches, is our, is our stature, is our job, is something that we are, something that we've earned, something that we've gained, is that keeping us from responding to what Christ is calling us to do? For some, maybe it's stopping you from responding to this call of salvation. For others, maybe it's, he's, it's stopping you from answering the call to ministry. To serve, to be a part of something, well, I would, but I have to work. well, I would, but that costs money i don 't know, maybe maybe i 'm just lucky that i don 't have a lot of money. it 's not a plug for like a higher salary. It just i, I don 't know, like god 's always met our needs, always, always, always met our needs. And I find that I can rely on Him and I can trust Him. So I know that when He calls me and He says, Tim, come down out of your comfortable tree at Harmony Baptist Church. I've got this for you. I can go, okay, let's do this. I'm not leaving anytime soon. I'm just saying as an example. Jesus sees more in this small, short tax collector than anybody else did. Nobody made room in the crowd. Nobody stopped to see if they could help him out. Nobody said, hey, come stand by me. In fact, he got down out of the tree and everybody went, look at this guy. Jesus is going to go hang out with him? He's a sinner. He's just this repulsive person. He's a traitor. Nobody can trust him. He sold us all out. That kind of turns into us once in a while. Jesus sees more in him Jesus sees more in us. Jesus sees more in your neighbors. Do you get where I'm going with this? So how can we be like Christ? How can we be compassionate? How, well, we can't be if we haven't responded to the initial call. And then after that, it's a continual process of responding and changing and responding. And it's more than just saying, I'm going to do that. I'm going I'm I'm to do that. How many of you have the honey-do list? I do. I don't get through it. I'm not even going to lie. There is, I, I, I like Facebook, there's a thing that pops up on Facebook and it's like, it's clickbait, total clickbait, it's like 19 funny statements about marriage and there's one that always pops up on there and I'm going to try to remember it as best as I can, but it's like, it's definitely a guy because no woman would ever do this and he says, honey, I was just about to start that thing you've been asking me to do for six months that I see you just now doing. I, prom- I was just about to start that. That's me. I sit down and then you know, be like, "Oh, were you gonna do the deck today?" Yeah, yeah, I was gonna do that. And then I'm looking, she's getting the broom. I'm like, "I was just gonna do that!" I swear, And I jump up and I run out. Listen, if you're a guy in here, you can. It, we do that. It's who we are. Intention means nothing. The desire means nothing. Maybe, you know what? I'll be fair. Maybe some women are like that too. Yeah. I'm still waiting on my cheesecake. So. No, I'm just kidding. I don't even eat cheesecake a lot. A lot. I do like cheesecake, though. Anyway. So, to go back to Zacchaeus. Again, Zacchaeus is a different monster here. He's a different guy. He's a different case. We talked about the blind man. Jesus went to the blind man. We talked about the woman at the well. Jesus approached the woman at the well. She had a need. Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. Jesus called his disciples, and they responded. They had needs, but here's here's Zacchaeus. It's just this rich guy. This isn't an attempt to say, well, if you have money, yes, everybody needs Jesus, whether you're rich or not. But what I'm saying is, there's no visible need that Zacchaeus has, and here he is. He's just curious. He just wants to see what's going on, and maybe that's how we are, both if you're not saved this morning and if you are saved this morning. Sometimes we just go to church just to kind of say, we'll see what it's about, we'll see what's going on. I I like the movie The Incredibles, right? And then the little boy sees something, and then the guy comes home every day, and the kid's sitting on his tricycle, and he's watching, and he's like, why are you bothering me? What are you doing? the kid's just like, I just want to see something wicked. I want to see something awesome. And then at the end like the house blows up and everything breaks loose and the kids like, That was totally awesome. But that's us. We just want to kinda wait and sit and we just I just want to see something awesome. Do something awesome, God, and then I'll serve you. Do something awesome and then I'll know that you really want me to serve in the nursery. You know, do something awesome and then and, and we just sit on this tree branch of Christianity and do absolutely nothing with it. Or we're on the other side of the table where we're sitting there and we're going, come on, God, if God would really just do something awesome and show me that he's real. It's a cop-out, I get it. But did you look outside today? Look, I'm totally about the watchmaker argument when it comes to creation. Look at what it is. Something tells me somebody created this. Something designed this. Something keeps this running. Something keeps the earth exactly where it needs to be so it doesn't explode or it doesn't freeze. Something keeps the the, the stars in line so that we can know what's going on to to, to watch the seasons change. Something's got control of this. And I want to know who. That to me is tremendous in and of itself. It piques our curiosity. But it means nothing if we don't act on it. See, if we believe what the Bible says, we believe that this, this guy, Jesus, is the same creator. It's the same God. It's the same person calling Zacchaeus out by name. as the same guy that said, Let there be light. And, and John 1, one tells us that He was there in the beginning, not a figment of His imagination, not a created being. He was there, face to face with God. He was God. They exist together. It's the same one, the same power, the same force that drives everything that we do. Stands and says, I want you. I want you. I, I, I want to have a relationship with you. Come down. Come down. It's curiosity. That's the second point, if you're keeping notes. It's curiosity. We're curious. But where does our curiosity turn into action? You know, when I was a kid, I lived down the hill from the school. We walked uphill both ways to school in the snow. Literally, my high school was on this big hill. My wife can vouch for that. I drove her by. It was the most miserable trip we've ever taken. Anytime I go home, it rains. Every time. It's just nasty, cold, rainy. I don't know why. It's because, like, don't come back here. I'm like, that's a sign. Maybe I just should stop. (laughs) But one time it was the middle of winter. And we had a bunch of snow. And there was this big smoke cloud. And we're like, the high school's on fire. we got to go check this out. I was so happy. (laughs) It was not the high school. But instead, there was this old house that was just down the road from it that had gone up in a... I mean, you could see it once you got up. It was amazing. You could feel the heat from it from up the street. The middle of winter. The snow is melting. It's rushing off. My curiosity was like, i got to see this thing. And then other people started coming out to see what was going on. And there were some animals that had lived inside. There was a homeless guy that was living there. He had a little stove, and that's what actually set the house on fire as he knocked it over and it went up in a blaze. So the curious people came to see what was going on, but there were a very small handful that were willing to actually take action and do something to get involved. I can't think of a better example than looking at a society that is just on fire. As Christians, what are we doing? And if you're not saved this morning, hey, there's more to this life than what the world promises, than what social media offers, than what our politicians promise us. I'm not a politics guy. I can tell you who the president is. I don't really know much outside of that. I don't follow elections. I probably should. Maybe it's ignorant on my part. I I can tell you who won the the baseball game last night, 10 to 5 Red Sox. But, yeah, it's all right. First place. First place. Anyway, <laughs> curiosity creates kind of this, this feeling thing. I went to the mall once. I, I saw Ahmad Bradshaw, and um, I got, I'm an Eagles fan, so I, of course I ridiculed him. But I'm in the mall in, in Poughkeepsie, and, and there's just this huge crowd. And then I thought before, you know, one time um, the Twilight guy, I never saw the movies. I have no idea who he is. But the Twilight guy was at the Galleria here in Middletown. Maybe some of you who are like, maybe in like your early 20s, maybe my age, were like big Twilight heads. I never was. I never got it. But I do remember going to the mall and walking in the upstairs, and they had this little table downstairs, and it was like lines of people waiting to see this guy. Realistically, the guy wasn't even like a, a famous actor or anything, It was just some guy in Twilight. Curiosity is going to draw a crowd, it's going to draw us into it. If you're here today, maybe you're here because of curiosity. Maybe, like I said, it's because I just want to see, like, it's church, curious, what's going on. Hey, come back. Sort it out. Seek it out. If you're not saved, and the curiosity factor is, you know, I just want to know, is this God thing for real? God makes some promises to us. Talks about test and see. Seek after Him. To see if he's really, truly there. Find out if this is really a cool thing, because the Bible says that he reveals himself to us. But we got to take that initial step in that action and seek after him and, and do a little searching ourselves. This situation, Jesus calls him down, and Zacchaeus responds. Again, Zacchaeus doesn't have an observable need. He's rich. He's got a job. He's whatever. It's what I think about like the entire book of Ecclesiastes talks about. But Ecclesiastes 3.11 tells us that God sets eternity into the heart of man. Everything that God does will remain forever. That last part is a paraphrase of like the remainder of that little, little blurb. But God sets eternity onto the heart of man. No amount of success, no amount of anything that the world offers is going to satisfy our eternity. It's just not going to happen. As a Christian, definitely not going to happen because what does the Bible tell us? treasure should be stored up in heaven, not here, because it's all going to fade. It's all going to go away. It's temporary. It's vanity. And sometimes what I need to do to remind myself of this stuff, Christian, if you're here this morning, read Ecclesiastes. Spend a little time there. And then you realize, like, oh wow, I'm really missing the point here. But anyway, we'll move back into the third, third part of this. We're talk about his destiny real quick. Destiny, fly through it. I'm almost done. I'm going to turn over to Derek. But a person's destiny is more than their goal in life. It's more than the average goal. It's more than just waking up, punching a clock, going to work, coming here, going home, watching the ball game, eating some popcorn, having a delicious meal. It's more than that. Life is more than that. Eternity is more than that. But our destiny, our things we strive for, that's what's going to shape our life. And if we're seeking for the things that the world is going to give us, and if that's where we're finding our success, and if that's where we're finding our pleasure, if that's where we're finding our enjoyment and our acceptance, I will tell you, just look through history. Look at fashion. Historical fashion. How many of you came into church today wearing bell-bottoms? Close close nobody why because that's like that's gone man that's faded that's over with it's gone it's not cool anymore why because trends change society changes what's acceptable changes what's permissible changes but there's one thing that does not change ever 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 and that's god that's his commandments his 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 love for us his teaching the bible Everything, the characteristics, the personality, that does not change. It doesn't change who he is, it doesn't change what he is. Regardless of what society changes, it doesn't change. But what that also means is, it also doesn't change the fact that salvation is a necessary requirement to have a relationship with him. Jesus says it in his own words, I came to seek and save the lost. If you're lost this morning, Jesus is seeking after you. If you're not lost this morning, Jesus is trying to be the ruler and controller of your life. That's what it all boils down to. Zacchaeus changes. He, he decides, I, I'm going to give back money. I'm going If I ripped anybody off. Could you imagine if the IRS called you and they were like, hey, Jim, I totally ripped you off, and I'm going to pay you back four times full. You'd be like... <laughs> Is this a joke? Like uh, Really? I could you imagine? But with Jesus this what this man becomes. He becomes a new creation. He becomes a new creature. So should we. So when I'm driving in the church this morning and I'm getting agitated because there's a guy out exercising Guess what? I got something to change. There's something inside me that's not clicking right, there's something that's off, something's not firing the way it's supposed to be, because I'm getting agitated I'm not trying to like like present me as like, oh, it's just normal Tim, he sins a lot, I do sin a lot, but you know what, so do you guys? But what do we do with it? Are we stuck in this like just continual cycle of just we'll just go through the motions and whatever. We do what we do. Climb up in the trees, send the branch, do whatever. Jesus leaves, I get down from my branch and I go home. I go about my life. Or Jesus is calling to you by name. Hey, to respond to this. This will change your life. This will impact you. Not just now, but eternity. Solomon wrote about in Ecclesiastes, but I'm going to read. I don't see any small children here, so this should be okay. It's not bad. It's a C.S. Lewis quote, but they use the S word in there. Sex. Shh. This is what C.S. Lewis writes, and to me this is brilliant, and you probably all have heard this, but this makes me think about where I'm at and where you might be at today. He says, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger, well, there is such thing as food. A duckling wants to swim, well, there is such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire, well, there is such thing as sex. on the one hand, never to despise or to be unthankful for these earthly blessings. And on the other, never to mistake them for the something else of which they are only a kind of copy or echo or mirage. I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find till after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object, the main object of life to press on to that country and to help others do the same. C.S. Lewis had a very similar experience, I can only guess, from reading Ecclesiastes that Solomon had. That he saw after everything in life, fame, fortune, hobbies, lavish lifestyles, everything left him feeling empty. And C.S. Lewis echoes the same thing. There must be something more if nothing here satisfies it. And you know this feeling because you've gone through your house and you've pulled every sweet out of the cupboard and you ate the cookies and you had the ice cream and you went back for crackers and you went, "Mm, it's just not hitting it. I don't know what it is. And you got in your car and you drove out and you went and got dessert somewhere else. We've all been there. We've done it. This is a small picture of what Jesus does for us. Regardless of what your desire is, what you're trying to fill, your satisfaction is, Jesus says, hey, Mike. It's me. Kishon, it's me. And today Jesus is calling you and saying, It's me. Solomon wrote the conclusion when all has been heard is, Fear God, keep His commandments. Because this applies to every person. If every person has eternity written on their heart, every person is accountable to this. He says, Fear God, love God, keep His commandments. How can we do that if we don't have a relationship with him? See, that's where it starts. So this morning, I'm closing. We're going to have a time of communion in a couple seconds. We're going to get all squared up for that. But I'm asking you, what's that desire that is just burning in you that you cannot satisfy? For the believer, maybe that means that's something you've got to give over. Something you've got to give up. Something that you've got to put in the trust of Christ, that He'll satisfy that. For If you're sitting here this morning and you're not saved, and you have no idea what I'm talking about, I'm a believer, I don't know. There are a lot of people in this small congregation that can help you with that. Myself, Derek, Don... Randy, Christine, I mean, all across, the, Just those are the first closest pews. I don't, don't, don't think you didn't say me. I guess I can't witness to anybody. No, that is not. You are not off the hook. I'm just saying, listen, don't leave here this morning without saying, hey, what's this mean? How can I respond like Zacchaeus? Will you come down off the tree? Will you, will you take the time to, to, to get things right? I'm just asking you this morning, jesus is there there's there's no accident it's not a happy accident that you're here this morning there's no matter what you could walk out this door and everybody says you go out the door hit by a bus nobody wants you to walk out the door and get hit by the bus the point of that question is to make you intellectually and honestly ask yourself what comes next is this jesus thing real is this god thing real what comes next I, last week, listen, your plans are not your plans. I know that, because last week, my mom came to visit, and her truck broke down. And Sunday after church, I drove to Ohio, and then Monday morning, I drove back. was not intending on doing that, trust me. 20 hours and not ending up at the beach, not what I want to do. But, it happened. And can I tell you something? I'm driving through Ohio, and there's these billboards that kept flashing. And it would say, slow down, drive safe. Year-to-date deaths, 604 highway deaths. And then the next thing would flash and it would say, every death has a face. Every death has a face. 604 people passed away in highway accidents in Ohio year to date. You know, I'm not asking you to wrestle with mortality, but it made me stop and think, I could be 605, I could be 606, I got another six hours to drive in this state and hey, it made me slow down. I'm not going to lie. I didn't have my regulator with me. She was home. So <laughs> I had to be really cautious of the speed limit. But can I tell you something? All jokes aside, tomorrow's not promised. Have you, have you ever been intellectually honest with yourself? No, it's, it's a wives' tale. It's a fable. Okay, so tell me, what comes next? What comes next? I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask you, While we're getting set up for communion, I'll be over here. If a couple people want to hang out over here, if you want to go out there and talk, come find us. Don't leave today going, well, maybe next time. It might not be a next time. You may never come back here. That doesn't mean you're going to die. Maybe you move to Europe. I don't know. God bless. That'd be awesome. But don't leave today thinking, I'll do it next time. I'll, I'll ask these questions next time. I'll figure it out. It's all next time. Next time, next time, next time. If there's always a next time, there's never a now time. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you again for who you are, that you've called us personally, that you have looked at us in the face and have said, come down. I want to have a relationship with you. Lord, I pray for those who are here today that maybe this is the first time they're hearing that, but Lord, I I pray that you would open their heart to understand that you are calling them, that you want to have that relationship with them. And, And for us who are here that have put our trust in you, Lord, that we would do what it is that you've called us to do, or that we would take action as well when you call us to do things. Lord, I I pray that if there's anyone here, anyone, whether they've been here for two hours, 15 minutes, 26 years, Lord, if they have not responded to that call and put their trust in you, that today would be that day. We love you. Thank you for who you are we close this service in this time of our service in your name amen
1: thanks tim excuse me a moment Right, I'll just get the lectern. Wow, that was great. Challenging. What's the next step? What's the next step? I'm quite a little fellow as well, so I want to get this down. That's, <laughs> that's great. I think there's an Irish story probably Irish about the guy I don't know where he wanted to go I think he wanted to get to Dublin which is the capital of Ireland Southern Ireland and I've forgotten where he was but he was in the middle of nowhere and he said to somebody on the road oh I can't do an Irish accent so I won't try how do I get from here to Dublin and the guy said oh if you want to get to Dublin I wouldn't start from here You've probably heard that before. But we are all somewhere, and what's the next step? There's no point in saying, well, the starting point is wrong. The starting point is here. The fact is, we're here. God is here. And there's no point in thinking, well, I've got to go somewhere else to get on this road. No. You can start for here. You can start here. You can continue here. God is here. Today is the starting point. I wonder if you've ever been, um, and you don't have to say anything, ever been charged with an offense because you've transgressed the law. The law of the land is supposed to be good. It regulates life. It gives healthy boundaries, mainly healthy. It supports and enhances society. It supports order, peace, respect. Freedom. It's a good thing. Compare that with God's law, which is even better. If you transgress the law, you might end up in court. If you go to court, you'll be declared guilty or not guilty. If you're guilty, well, you've done it. Or there's a miscarriage of justice, and you are innocent, but in fact, you're you're pronounced guilty, and it's a miscarriage of justice. If you're declared not guilty... Either you're innocent, or you got away with it. We won't get away with it in God's court. There is another court, the court of heaven. In these, on earth, uh, if you go to the court, the local court, you can then appeal. And you can go on appealing, and you can go on appealing until you get to the Supreme Court. It's the same in the UK. I think I've got that right for over here. And when the Supreme Court issues its verdict, that is it. Is that right? That's what it's like in the UK. A group of people who have been appointed to do a final review. When you get their verdict, that's the end of the road. That is your response. There is no other appeal or anybody else who is going to countermand that judgment. When we come to the court of God, there is no court of appeal. He is the final judge. But the good thing is that God is more than a judge. God's law of life is for each of us. As Tim has just uh, asked us, what is our next step in lining our lives up with God? I want to read some verses from Romans chapter 3 as we come towards communion. And it starts with law. We know this is Romans chapter 3, verse 19. We know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. Ah, it's that starting point, sin. We're getting heavy, are we? Sin, guilt, judgment well this is the starting point but there is a route out but now apart from the law the righteousness of god has been made known to which the law and prophets testify this righteousness is given through faith in jesus christ to all who believe there's no difference between jew and gentile for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of god And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just. And... The one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Well, there's a lot of theological stuff in that. What on earth has that got to do with communion? Well, it's telling us something of the theological background of what this bread and this wine represent and why we're going to eat this bread and drink this wine in a moment. We have to start from where we are, and the, the starting point is sin. I've transgressed the law, I am guilty. I've fallen short. I've missed the mark. In other words, the starting point of coming to God is human failure. If we cannot acknowledge human failure and think, oh, well, I don't want to start from here. I want to start from religion or good works or impressing God. No, it won't work. The starting point has got to be your brokenness, your fallibility, your, your sinfulness, my sinfulness. But the good thing is God does not leave us there but that's got to be where we start from. Justice, because God is just, says the penalty for sin must be paid. See, God doesn't just shuffle it under the carpet and say, oh, well, we won't worry about that anymore. We'll pretend it didn't happen. Or it wasn't that bad, so we'll just we'll forget about that. No, that would not be just. In any court of law, if you're accused of something and found guilty, it will be a total travesty if they said, oh, well, we won't worry about it. Just ignore it. Off you go. For justice, there must be a punishment. There must be a penalty. And God's justice says the penalty for sin has got to be paid. The penalty is death. But grace comes along and says, Jesus has paid that penalty in your place. God is a God of grace. And then we had this rather heavy theological word of atonement. Jesus was, provided atonement for our sins. Jesus suffered the wrath of God so that I don't. He made reparation for my sins because I couldn't. The judge handed out such an enormous fine, I couldn't pay it myself. I'm bankrupt. I have nothing to give. Okay, you're in jail. Our debt is something we cannot pay. But Jesus has said, I have paid that debt. I have paid it. It is paid. I have made reparation for our offenses. And then redemption says, I am restored to fellowship with God through faith. Wow, now we're getting the good news applied to us personally. Zacchaeus, this is what you need to know. This is the next step for you. When you get out of that tree, when you accept your starting point and you come to Jesus and you look at that cross as it is there and think, what does that symbolize? I am restored to fellowship with God through faith in Jesus. And then it says that we are justified. What on earth does that mean? Well, it means we are declared. The judge says, you are not guilty. I find you not guilty. But I've committed, I'm not guilty. How can that be? Well, because Jesus was declared guilty. And he became sin for us. The verdict of Father upon Jesus was guilty, death, hell. The verdict for us then is not guilty. I have become in him the righteousness of God. Wow, how on earth can that be? That's, that sounds like good news to me. It is. I am not guilty. And righteousness, because this is what it's all about, says, well, I'm not just only not guilty. Guilty. It's not just that I haven't done something bad. I'm given the righteousness of Jesus. I am righteous in him. Wow. And so as we eat the bread and as we drink the wine, we're celebrating that we go from this starting point of failure to our destiny of resurrection and life. And already we have become in him the righteousness of Jesus. If we have received Jesus... By faith. If we have climbed out of our tree and say, okay, Jesus, what's this business we need to do? I need to walk away from that life of sin and I need to walk into the arms of Jesus. I need to acknowledge what this cross is all about, that somebody paid the price for my sin. So the bread and the wine proclaim and celebrate Jesus' atoning sacrifice. Grace is not cheap. Grace is not cheap. The atonement was not a walk in the park. Jesus was not particularly looking forward to it. And he said, as he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. In other words, let this, I know what's coming. Is it at all possible that it doesn't have to happen? This is Jesus. But what does he say then? Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. It cost him. It cost him the physical abuse, the verbal abuse, but a whole lot more spiritually. What on earth did it mean that the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, was somehow torn asunder as Father had to turn away because of you and me and because of our sin that Jesus was taking upon himself? Grace is not cheap. And the life of Jesus was the only life that could possibly achieve our justification and redemption. So we're going to take the bread and then we're going to drink the wine as a celebration. As a declaration that yes, I receive Jesus afresh. Yes, I have a starting point of sin and failure, but I'm trusting Jesus. I'm proclaiming that what I see in that screen there, the symbol of that cross, I'm proclaiming that, yes, that is the place where I find my salvation, in the cross of Jesus Christ, for what he has done, not what I try to do, but what he has done. And I reaffirm my faith and my trust in him. So if those who are serving would like to come forward, please. We have five servers nowadays, so we have one person who is specifically able to serve the nursery people and the musicians. Oh, the musicians, they're there. There you are, good. Um, So let's pray together. Lord, when you met Zacchaeus, you transformed his life. He came down out of that tree with all his background and baggage of being a traitor, of being a fraud, of being greedy, of being a liar, a thief, and somehow, Lord, his encounter turned him round totally. <clears throat> you set him on a new path. Thank you that in you we are set on a new path. Thank you that our destiny is the kingdom of God. We're already in that kingdom, but the fullness of that that one day we will see. This morning, we want to give you praise and thanks that, Lord Jesus, your body was broken for us, that you paid our debt, that when the judge made that pronouncement of guilty over our sin, you were there who said, yes, and I've taken that guilt. I have paid that price. It cannot be paid again. You took our death. You died our death. You paid our debt. And it cost you your life. We want to thank you. And Lord, as we take this bread in the moment, we we know that it represents your body broken for us. And as we eat it, we say again, yes, Lord Jesus, we reaffirm our faith and confidence in you. Thank you for dying for us. Amen. The bread or wafers will come to us. The servers will bring them to you, and you eat the bread as you receive it to make your own individual response to Jesus. So if the servers can come forward, we'll... The wine speaks to us of the blood of Jesus. A shed blood means a death. A death has occurred. Jesus' death. And also we have that symbolism of a covenant which is sealed in blood. And as Jesus, as we drink this wine, we are declaring and we are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. We are proclaiming there is a new covenant. A covenant of grace that no, I cannot be declared not guilty through my own efforts, but through the blood of Jesus Christ, through the sacrifice of his life, I am declared not guilty in the highest court of heaven. There is no appeal. Not guilty. I am made righteous. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you that you shed your blood. Thank you that you gave your life, you shed your blood. And we just want to say, where would we be without you? Lord, as we meditate, as the wine is brought to us now, help each of us to think, what's the next step? Is there a tree to climb out of? Is there interest and curiosity just to be followed up? We're looking at our destiny. Help us, Lord, to meditate and to give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. The wine will be brought to us again, and this time keep the cup. Keep hold of the cup, and then we will all drink together after we have all been served. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that we don't just look back, and we don't just look around now, but we look forward to when we will be with you in the fullness of your kingdom. We proclaim your death until you come again, because, Lord, we are counting on that, and we will see you, and we will be with you forever. So thank you for what this wine speaks to us of. Thank you for your life. Lord, in drinking this, we again say we proclaim your death till you come again. We proclaim that we trust in you, that you are our Savior, that you are our God who has borne our sin. When we couldn't, we're eternally grateful. We praise you. Let's drink together in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, Father, we thank you for this time this morning as we go now. Lord, may each of us just ponder over in our hearts what the next step is, that we might not just come and listen and go and forget, but just know that you go with us each day. Be with each one of us, Lord. Uh, May we know your joy and your peace in our hearts. May we know your grace touching our lives afresh. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If anybody wants to talk with Tim or myself or anybody else over what they've heard this morning, feel free to do that. Thank you.